Welcome, you're listening to the Mac Observer's Background Mode. I am your host, John Martellero, and this week my guest is Dr. Andrew Friedman from UCSD. Dr. Friedman, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Can I call you Andy? That's great. So for the listeners, Dr. Friedman is an astronomer, cosmologist, data scientist, and is currently a National Science Foundation-funded assistant research scientist at the University of California, San Diego. Center for Astrophysics and Space Sciences. He is also a research affiliate at the MIT Program for Science, Technology, and Society. He owns a PhD in astronomy and astrophysics from Harvard. So last time you were on the show in April 2019, we had a great time. We discussed all sorts of astrophysics issues, and then we briefly touched on the apparent conflict. I say apparent because it's, as we'll see, maybe artificial created between the conflict between religion and science, and I promised to bring you back on the show and talk about that some more at some length. And here we are. So welcome back. I'm glad to have you on the show to talk about uh, a subject of interest to both of us, and that is the, the elegant marriage and synthesis of science and religion and, and how the apparent conflict has become artificial lately. Yeah, thank you for having me back. And uh, I think these are really fascinating issues to explore and discuss. And, you know... Uh, I, I can say that uh, as an astronomer and a cosmologist, uh, when when you're working in, in the history of the universe, when you're trying to learn about everything from the Big Bang until today, when you're studying uh, the creation of the universe, um, it's kind of an occupational hazard to think about uh, what the, the sci-fi author Douglas Adams called God, life, the universe, and everything. I, I can say from my own personal experience that my my own beliefs have been uh, dramatically informed by the things that I've learned um, as an astronomer, um, as a working scientist. And then I think that uh, overall, whatever your religious background, whatever your educational background, uh, the, the best path forward is to have honest conversations in good faith about these kinds of issues. And uh, I, I, I come at this whole subject with the perspective of of humility in the sense that there are some things where um, I definitely don't know the answer to what's what's actually true, uh, and and but I also think that there are some topics where nobody has the answer, and that that uh, we we should all approach things with as much humility as possible in that sense. I agree. Uh, but 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 I but I do hold very strongly the belief that um, any discussion about spirituality, about the existence of God, is going to be helpfully informed by keeping in mind our, our best understanding of modern science. That's and that exactly I think, what John Polkinghorne said in his book. Absolutely. In fact, there's a quote from Einstein that I have here. Einstein said, science without religion is lame. Religion without science is blind. And John Polkinghorne, who's an Anglican priest now, he used to be a theoretical physicist, talks about how you need science to inform your best intellectual thoughts about theology. Yeah, and, and, and I think that uh, ultimately th there, there are some conflicts between science and religion in the modern age that are real, uh, but then there are also other conflicts where I think that uh, groups of people are talking past each other in, in a way that could potentially be avoided. I think part of the problem is, is that both fields are intensely um, deep and highest level of human thought and experience. And people who have PhDs in astrophysics are not typically very well informed about theology. 
and people who are PhD or ministers in theology, very uh, experienced, don't have a good understanding of uh, physics. I like to say that all pastors and priests should have a bachelor's degree in physics or astronomy first. That that would be be very very a very different world. <laughs> would be very helpful. There are a few notable scientists who are very well experienced in both fields. John Porkinghorne, as I mentioned, a British mm-hmm. theoretical physicist turned Anglican priest. Dr. Alistair McGrath, who's also in the UK. Uh, Dr. Charles A. Coulson from the history of uh, science and religion is no longer with us, but he was a, a big name. And currently, Dr. Paul Davies talks about uh, science and religion. But I think part of the problem is, is that, as I said, uh, it's easy for scientists to not be humble and to feel like they know what they're talking about because they're experienced in physics. They know everything there is to know about religion. And in my reading, often they expose themselves as having some very immature theological ideas. And that contributes to a conflict between the two. What do you think? I, I, I think that uh, literacy on all fronts would help the conversation uh, from, from all sides of uh, the discussion. And, and I, I, I think that one of the central points of, of conflict in the way that people talk about the subject is that I think um, science and religion, at, at least in my view, um, they're, they're, they're providing different, different needs and purposes in the world. They're trying to answer different types of questions. Right. They, there are areas where they overlap. Um, I, I will admittedly say that when you're, when you're talking about, let's say, literal truth of something, if there is a religious text – from any religion that said, for example, that the universe is is 6,000 years old, I'm going to strongly disagree with that because I think that the evidence that our part of the universe is much older than that, about 13.8 billion years, um, the evidence is very, very strong in, in, in favor of that. So when you're talking about those kinds of factual questions about uh, what's true in our actual world, I, I think it's very, very important to be as informed as possible about what modern science has to say about that. But at the same time, uh, and, and I'm not saying that, that, that you know, religion is, is the only way to answer other kinds of questions that I'm about to get to, but that science can't tell us answers to questions like, how should we conduct ourselves in the world? Right. What is or, the purpose or, of life? Science cannot answer the question, uh, what is the meaning of life? How, how should I try to find, discover, invent, create meaning in, in a world that's filled with with uncertainty that's filled with suffering uh science can help us answer certain kinds of questions but so so science can tell us what is true in our natural world but it can't tell us what ought to be true it can't i i, I don't remember who who said this but it might have been bertrand russell or, or another philosopher or, or theologian or scientist but somebody said you can't derive an ought from an is if we're trying to ask ourselves how can we improve the world? How can we help others? How can we reduce unnecessary human suffering? How can we create a world where human beings thrive and achieve their potential, uh, where, where people have religious and spiritual freedom? Science can help us inform the conversation, but it's not, it, it cannot answer those questions directly. So, so we, need, we need religion and spirituality and philosophy and as art. Code of, as a code of conduct, not as... Uh a boastful, uh, arrogant assumption about the laws of physics and the universe's history. It, yes, it, w- it would be arrogant if a physicist said, because of my training as a physicist, 
I know how human beings should conduct themselves. That that way um, it is overextending one's knowledge base in the wrong direction. Right. And and but 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 what but I would also say that when you're talking about these questions about how one should conduct them, you know, ourselves in the world, I do not think that there are easy objective answers. I think that there are many situations where reasonable people, you know, maybe with different spiritual or religious perspectives, can disagree on on exactly what the right thing to do is. And I think that these are open ended questions that are going to be something that that as as humans we we have to continue to struggle with. And uh, it's 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 a it's a different kind of goal and, and 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 struggle as the struggle for let's say scientific or mathematical truth uh, that uh, you know that I, I I work with on a daily basis. But uh, the the kinds of things that I study uh, definitely make me very engaged with these these other big picture questions about existence. So so I, I have my own personal beliefs that have that have kind of emerged from the synthesis of these different ways of thinking. I don't have any claim that I, you know, understand what really is true with the big spiritual questions of existence. Uh, but but I, I can definitely say that they're they're informed by modern science. You brought up a good point a few minutes ago about the Bible and the history of the universe. You know, we, we turn to science to find out truths about the history of the universe, its structure, its composition, its evolution. But we read stories in the Bible that are intended to be illustrative about the past of humans. And one of the things I've learned and and that I teach in my class is that it's no great sign of your faith to contradict the findings of science and appeal to the Bible as a science textbook. The Bible is not a science textbook. The Bible is intended to provide us with lessons and purpose and, and training and spiritual development, but it's not ever intended to be the absolute truth and so one has to delicately understand the nuance, the difference between scientific truth and the teachings of the Bible. And when the Bible appears to contradict science, it's because it's never intended to be a science textbook for it. God doesn't divulge those secrets easily. It's up to scientists to study and, and learn about the universe. And that's the challenge. And in fact, what happens is, is that as you explore the physics of the universe and, and understand the nature of our physical existence in the universe, you come to a deeper understanding of theology without necessarily having to hang your hat on the Bible as a textbook in science. What do you think? I'm very sympathetic to that perspective, and I think that we we run into trouble uh, from any religious um, community. I mean, I, I personally was raised um, in Reformed Judaism, um, so I, I've also come very strongly to believe that the the Old Testament, the New Testament, the, the these are books that tell us they, they are not history books and they're not science textbooks. They they tell us about humans at various times in, in history struggling with with the question of meaning and existence, the question of how to conduct themselves in the world. Uh, these books have been incredibly important and influential in human history and cultural development up until today. But 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 I think that. Uh, I believe very strongly that that we run into big problem if we try to try to take these these uh, books literally, yeah. and 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 that I th- I think that uh, the the there there are uh, many stories that that I think are are best interpreted from a mythological perspective, 
sometimes they're very, very uh, directly connected to actual events in human history. But of but course. I don't think that 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 we should ever interpret religious texts, um, the the Bible, as a a direct uh, one to one map with a historical record. I think that the, these kinds of things, uh, you know, they they they're they're very personal, and so uh, depending on your religious upbringing, uh, th- this perspective might be something that's that's different from you know what you've been taught, but. In, in you my end, own up, you end up arguing about who's authoritative, and each yes. is authoritative in its own field. But when you try to make them battle each other in terms of is the Bible authoritative or is physics and astrophysics authoritative, then you end introduce an artificial concept and conflict that should never have been there. I I agree. If you if if you interpret the 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 Bible specifically as a, a book of stories that. Uh, are still relevant today that can help us you know, learn about our struggle with, with the meaning of life in the universe as opposed to a science textbook, uh, then any apparent conflict with things that you might interpret as, as facts, if you take the Bible as an authoritative text, that, that conflict goes away once you realize that that's not, that's not how we should be using, that's not how we should be using these, these religious and spiritual texts uh, and and understanding the the long history and traditions of, of various different faiths, and I, I think that uh, I, I I'm I'm humble enough to 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 say that that there are many questions on on the spiritual and religious front. Uh, for example, does God exist? What is God like? Is there an afterlife? I don't know the answer. I I know what I would like to be true, uh, but I, I I cannot claim any definitive knowledge of it. And, and, and I, I think that the, the best we can do is to, in the context of our own spiritual and religious traditions, continue to incorporate what we learn about the world from modern science and update our beliefs, spiritual and factual, about the world based on new evidence as it comes in. I, I guess that the main thing that, that I strongly believe is that any spiritual belief system, in order to be vibrant and in order to be meaningful moving forward, cannot be completely static. It has to be able to update itself uh, based on new evidence. So whatever whatever an ancient religious text says in a, in a specific uh, version, our interpretation of it has to be able to change over time as we learn more and more about the world. Indeed. And, Indeed. and, and I, I worry about uh, faiths that believe that uh, the, those books represent things where – Long ago, we understood everything perfectly, uh, and we understood everything for all time, and that's the end of the story. I, I strongly disagree with that perspective. And so I, th- I think there really is a conflict uh, between that viewpoint and, and the scientific worldview. But, but when it comes to just in general, the, the search for meaning of life in the universe, I don't think the conflict needs to be as pronounced um, as, as it is in our polarized world today. Agreed, agreed. Well, we're going to have to take a break now. Folks, I've been chatting with uh, cosmologist Dr. Andrew Friedman from UCSD. We'll be back after this short commercial break. Stay with us. Today, our sponsor is Linode. Linode helps you design, develop, and deploy in the cloud. You can build dedicated CPU, distributed applications, hosted services, websites, and CI slash CD environments. If it runs on Linux, it runs on Linode. Linode is focused on simplicity, service, and value. 
The goal is to maximize the benefit you receive from your cloud by making it cost-effective to deploy robust compute, storage, and networking services that meet your ever-changing performance needs. Featured are native SSD storage, a 40-gigabit network, and industry-leading processors. Pick from any of 10 worldwide data centers, including the newest in Toronto. Pay only for what you use with hourly billing across all plans and add-on services. Plus, 24 by 7 live customer support is always just a phone call away. You'll be able to deploy and maintain your infrastructure simply and cost-effectively. Plus, Linode's tools make it easy to provision, secure, monitor, and backup your cloud. To learn more, visit linode.com slash bgm. That's L-I-N-O-D-E dot com slash bgm. And receive a $20 credit when you use promo code BGM2019. Thanks, Linode, for being our sponsor. We're back. I'm chatting with Dr. Andrew Friedman. So uh, in my notes, I have some uh, notes from the Porkinghorn book. Um, some scientists are atheists because science cannot prove God's existence. And that seems to be kind of a tall challenge. And maybe they're a little bit intolerant about religions. They're, they're, they're upset with the intolerance of other religions, sorry. And they're unwilling to be, um, as the Bible says, as a child, Mark 10, 15. And they turn away from maybe the offering of the gift of faith. For whatever reason, scientists find it to be, many of them, uh, I, did, I found a survey that said 40% of scientists believe in God, 60% do not. But those who do, don't worry about having to prove God's existence. The theologians of the past have tried, and it turns out to be impossible, nor does God really want there to be proof because we have free will. And he has to let us do our own thing. And if he were to allow us to prove his existence, which people try to do over and over again as a demonstration of their faith, then we would be under the gun right away and we would have no more free will because we realize that we would be watching and judged immediately. And there would be an imposing spiritual presence laying overhead upon us and stifling our actions. So God lets us do what we want to do and he leaves proof to our own heart. What do you think? So this is definitely a, you know, a, a rich and fascinating topic. It's arguably one of the most interesting questions of all time. Uh, but I'd like to take a little bit of a step back as a response and say that, you know, let, let's say, you know, especially in America today, if somebody asks you, do you believe in God? I think that I understand where that question's coming from, but I think it is fundamentally, uh, it does not do the subject justice to treat it like it's a yes or no question. I think that when you do that, all of the complexity is hidden in what your personal definition of God is. So I think that a, a, a better starting point uh, is, is this question of what is your definition of God or what, what, what is the definition of God that, that you find defensible that you can believe in. So, so I, I'm, I'm very much opposed to this sort of um, divide into you know, atheists versus theists because I think that uh, it's really, really easy, for example, to, to label somebody else as an atheist – if they just happen to have a, a different definition of God than you do. And, you know, most of us believe in something, you know. So, so for example, I don't personally believe, personally believe in any of the Norse gods, Odin or Thor. You know, so I am an atheist with respect to Odin <laughs> or, or, or Thor. And, 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 and 
I don't know what your personal beliefs are. You know, I, I, I know that, uh, you know, you have a background in Christianity, uh, but, but I, I, I would bet that, that you, you were an atheist with respect to many other concepts, definitions of God that have arisen throughout human history. And so, so what I'm more interested in, um, when I, when I talk with people is, you know, what is your particular definition? Now, I, now granted, you know, many people have a lot of the same ideas in mind in, in, um, in, in American culture. But but if if you have you know um, any two people and you sit them down, their definitions are going to be slightly different, mm-hmm. and and that's not a yes or no question. That's that's a a long conversation you know over lunch or or, or over a lifetime. So so I, I think that we, we we need to get away from this this polarizing way of asking the question of do you believe or not. So 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 when you have a survey, I, I like like uh, you you were discussing that you know John Polkinghorn was quoting. I don't think it's ever as simple as, you know, 40 percent uh, are, you know, believers, 60 percent are non-believers. I, I, I think that uh, it, it, the complexity all comes down to, to the definition. So um, I, I guarantee you that my, my definition of God, the, the one that I can personally believe in and defend is probably different from yours. We probably have some points in common. We probably have many points uh, that, that are different. But 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 I, that I don't think that whatever your position is and whatever mine is. I don't think that there's ever a single one-word label that can encompass uh, the, the the nature of, of what I believe is, is for each person a lifelong struggle to try to wrestle with these really deep questions, which are very personal, which are very important, but which fundamentally don't have answers that everybody in the world can agree upon. I think I think we need to, to live in a world where we promote religious and spiritual freedom so that people can explore these things. Um, and and discuss them rather than um, I I don't think that this is a question where there is going to be one answer, one right answer that that once and for all everyone will agree upon. I think when 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 it's viewed in an adversarial way, um, we we run into into trouble. And, Alfred North Whitehead said, "The precepts mm-hmm. of religion are the attempts to formulate the truths disclosed by the religious experiences of humankind, and those experiences can vary." They can they can definitely vary, um, and I, I I guess uh, one one analogy that that I think is useful here is when you're talking about you know these kinds of topics which are very personal and people can uh, become extremely polarized about extremely emotional about I, I I like to say that 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 I I wish that these 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 things could be discussions and not arguments you know in an argument. You have a viewpoint, and you're trying to win. You're trying to convince the other person of your belief, right. and you're trying to to make them um, see the world as you do, and give up whatever their previous beliefs are. That is usually a futile process. I agree, and so so I I think that the only healthy way is to approach this as a discussion, where at the end of the day, your goal is not to win by convincing the other person or having them submit to your will. The goal is to learn more about what the other person believes and about what you believe and maybe think of things from, from new perspectives. I think that uh, it is a categorical error to treat this question as a one, as a question which is winnable by argument. So, so I, so I, I, I take that, that point uh, from, from Polkinghorne as, as well. Uh, but that uh, it, it's, it's a question which, which is in a certain sense, fundamentally unanswerable definitively, you know, does God exist? What is the nature of God? But but I, I think I think you have to have the the discussions about uh, you know what your particular definition is, you know. And I'd I'd be happy to share 
you know, the, the viewpoint that I've come to, but, but with, with the acknowledgement that I'm not an authority on this. This is just, you know, what I've personally come yeah, to believe. none of us are. So I've read that some scientists feel under pressure from their colleagues to hide the fact that they have religious beliefs that somehow in some circles felt to be embarrassing because you're supposed to be a proof-based scientist. Uh, do you ever experience any of that kind of pressure in your realm? Well, I, I, I think that uh, th- th- there, there, there's definitely in the culture of science um, the, the, the idea that for certain topics, you know, for, 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 you know, many, many, you know, decades now, uh, that, that, uh, you want to keep your own spiritual and religious beliefs separate. And, and, and I think that when, when it comes to factual matters, when you're trying to ascertain the objective truth about the world, that's actually a pretty good strategy. Um, from, from a, from a bigger picture perspective, there is no scientific or mathematical theorem that can tell you as a scientist, what questions should I be interested in? What questions should I try to explore? What, what purpose should I try to create in the world as a result of trying to learn about the universe? And I think those are fundamentally spiritual and religious questions, right. whether we acknowledge them to be or not. And, and that, uh, unfortunately, it, it's, it's all too easy for scientists to get trapped into thinking that everything in the world is objective uh, and that because they're trained as a scientist, they're objective in 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 every way they conduct themselves. That's well, that brings up definitely another, not true. That brings up another important subject, and that is scientists sometimes are too arrogant about their confidence in what they know. And there is a lot that scientists take on faith. There's a lot that scientists don't understand and don't know, but they cover that up a little bit and would like to have you believe that they're really understanding that you know everything, but. There's this thing called Godel's incompleteness theorem that says we can't have a lot of confidence in ultimate truth in our system of logic. And yeah, so, com- combined with the depth of the universe and its complexity, there's a lot that scientists have to have a sort of faith in. They have to have faith in the universe as being understandable, that it's logical and constructed in a way that can be comprehended. They're confident that they can solve problems. Ultimately, there are as many gaps in knowledge and shakiness and, and absolute truth in science as there is in religion. So I think you bring up a lot of interesting points here. Uh, and, and that uh, jumping back to the, to the beginning, I, I think that, that arrogance is a human feature which raises its head in all areas of endeavor, uh, whether it's science or otherwise. Uh, but it, it does take on a particular character sometimes when when scientists think they know everything and and but but i think you know if you're talking about um, certain religious perspectives that arrogance absolutely raises its head as well um in an equally uh, non-constructive way i think that you know one of my central messages that i'd love to you know share is is i think that we have to be humble in all all areas where our knowledge is lacking so in in science there are absolutely uh, things that, that, that we don't know. And at the frontier of science, there will always be things that are not completely understood. The universe has proven to be a, like a layers of an onion. We keep digging down and digging down. We think we're at the end. And then there's another level below that. And we keep getting surprised. Yeah, and, and I think that's, that's a wonderful thing uh, if you consider the alternative. And I, I think science is open-ended in the sense that learning and discovery is potentially um, something we can continue as, as as long as we survive. 
you know, and, and I, I, I definitely, uh, I, I don't think that we will ever have all of the answers. And, and I, I actually find that to be a, a very comforting view. Right, right. One of the things that Polkinghorne says is that faith doesn't mean giving up your rationality and your reason. So, on, on that subject, uh, you know, of, of faith and uh, what, what uh, I, I, want, I want to clarify something, at least in terms of, you know, some of the key differences between the kind of faith that, that scientists have um, in, in, let's say, the, the natural world being comprehensible. I, I think it's, it's, it, it is always important to acknowledge the things that we are taking on faith, whether we're, we're talking about science or religion. Uh, to, to back up a little bit, and, and you also mentioned Gödel's theorem, and it would be kind of nice to tie that in. So, so one of the things that I think is really important to me, at least in in, in terms of a foundation for a, any kind of belief system, a spiritual belief system about the world, is to ask, what are some things that I can be pretty sure of uh, as being true, independent of whether I want them to be true, or independent of what any of us want to be true? And the best candidate I've had for a starting point for that is the kind of thing, the kind of truth that you'd find in, in mathematics. And so if you're talking about mathematical truth, you might ask a question like, well, is one plus one equals two a mathematical fact? Or is the Pythagorean theorem true? If, is that a mathematical fact? And, and I would say that, that although those things might appear to be self-evident true statements um, on the face of it, Th those things actually can't be evaluated as true or false at all unless we put them in the proper context. So in, in mathematics, if you're deriving a theorem, let's say like the Pythagorean theorem, you always start with axioms. And what axioms really are, are assumptions about the, the, the world that you take on faith. Right. So, so um, the five axioms of Euclidean geometry include things like the definitions of lines and points and planes um, and things like that. Uh, but uh, Euclidean geometry occurs in flat space. It's the kind of geometry we learned in high school where the Pythagorean theorem holds and the angles of triangles add up to 180 degrees. And there's a particular postulate, an axiom, um, called the parallel postulate, which basically says that um, parallel lines are lines that keep going without ever meeting. They never cross each other. And so for, for um, many years in the history of mathematics up until – you know, the 18th or 19th century, people believed that um, this was not a, not a something they were taking on faith, but self-evidently true. But we now know that that if you modify the parallel postulate, uh, if you um, if you drop it and 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 allow it to be something else, it's not that all hell breaks loose, but you get different, consistent mathematical truths. So you open up. Um, hyperbolic geometry and spherical geometry. So instead of flat geometry on a piece of paper, you can talk about geometry on the surface of a sphere, where eventually, you know, parallel lines do converge. Mm -hmm. And and geometry on the surface of a potato chip, where they diverge. So if you make different assumptions, have different axioms that you take on faith, you get different theorems. So what this tells me is that it's not the axioms that are true or the theorems that are true out of context, it is the conditional relationship between them. If you assume certain axioms, you get certain theorems. And, and, and that conditional mathematical truth is something that I believe is true no matter what uh, we want to believe. No matter what, no matter, you know, we, it could not be otherwise. So to be provocative, I would say that 
that kind of mathematical truth is something that not even God could change. Uh, so, and this is related to Gödel's theorem because, uh, you know, th- there are certain versions of his theorem, but essentially, uh, if you have a, a, a system of axioms, a formal mathematical system that is uh, complex enough to encode ordinary arithmetic, then uh, the most famous version of Gödel's theorem says that there will be certain mathematical statements that cannot be proven to be true or false mm-hmm. from within that formal system. Um, right. In order to actually prove them as true or false, you need to either add new axioms. Um, you, you need to give the system more computational power in order to uh, to prove the, the these things which are Gödel statements. In a mathematical system that's finite, there are limits to what it can do, and by analogy, in science, uh, there may be certain questions which are just not answerable within the finite observable universe that, that we have access to. I think that's true in religion, too. I think there are certain assertions that are boldly made by some religions that aren't provable, but they're made as a matter of dogma to reinforce or to inspire or to bludgeon or to convince the the people in that religion to believe certain things without ironclad proof, but they're, they're, they're posited as things that are true and then they're argued about. It's the same kind of thing. One has to have skilled reasoning and scientific background in order to have some perspective about what things are provable in religion and what things are not and why some things don't matter and why some things do. I, I, I definitely agree, and, and I think that the mistake here and, and, and in general, I'm, I'm very suspicious of, of dogma, of the idea of um, things that you take on faith in such a way where um, no amount of new evidence could ever persuade you otherwise. Yeah, these are statements of fact instead of statements of conduct. If you say it's wrong to sneak up on somebody and bludgeon them over the head, you can prove pretty much that that's a wrong thing to do because it violates human nature and sanctity and behavior. But if you try to prove some other precepts, of religion, you can continue to argue and argue, and you'll never get anywhere. Well, I, I think that that that, that you know the, the issue here is that we have to acknowledge that that's what taking something on faith means. It means that you can't argue for it to be true. <laughs> you know, right. like if, if 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 you want to um, take some some kind of an axiom and then argue that actually, if I assume some other more fundamental axioms, that I can view this original axiom as a theorem um, in, in some other broader, larger formal mathematical system, you can make an argument like that, but at the base level there are always axioms, there are always assumptions, and that um, in order to be honest, we have to admit what those assumptions are. Right. You know, we, we, we can't, um, j- just blindly asserting that something is true is, is, not, um, is, is not a way to, to make progress. So we're coming to the end of the show. We don't have a whole lot of time left, I think, to sort of wrap things up and summarize. We've discussed some of the potential and ongoing conflicts between science and religion and perhaps how they can be resolved and how each plays an important role in our lives and how each depends on the other and that it's important to be a critical thinker, to have scientific training to understand the universe and also be humble about religion and uh, what's provable and what's important about religion and faith. And with those 
understandings, we can have an elegant synthesis of the two instead of a uh, irate conflict. Does that about sum it up? I I think that that uh, I, I I agree with with that, and ultimately, if if we want to be able to continually uh, struggle together to create meaning in the universe, to try to find uh, find our own purpose, uh, we we need to be able to have uh, these discussions in in good faith, and by that I mean where we're willing to listen and we're willing to learn from each other, and we're we're willing to distinguish between things that are factual objective questions and we're willing to uh, understand that some things are not factual objective questions we, we, we need to acknowledge our own biases we, we need to acknowledge uh, what we would like to be true versus what what is true you know and and uh, so, so a, a specific uh, area where I think you know it's it's it, this is particularly appropriate is Let's say we're we're talking about uh, the existence or not of an afterlife. I think that many of us would would very much like that to be true, um, an afterlife of some form, where where our minds continue in some way. I would very much like that to be true, and 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 as a scientist, I can't prove or disprove it. So, uh, but but I can acknowledge that just because I want it to be true in a certain way doesn't mean that that it is true. I, I just think that it's it's really important to acknowledge all of those things that we bring to the table, our preconceptions, uh, when we're having these kinds of discussions. Uh, and and it's, it's, a, it's a very difficult and sensitive topic, but, but I think that this, this is a particular question where I don't know if it's possible to answer it one way or another from within the universe. I think that all the evidence that we have one way or another is ambiguous, and uh, it's but but it's something that's that's very important to to almost every human that's alive, and it's it's absolutely worth discussing and thinking about. Uh, but 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 I I think that uh, this is this is a specific area when it you know when it comes to where, where humility is very important. And Indeed. just as with a definition of God, I think that if you're asking whether or not your definition of God exists and is 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 real in the universe, I think we all have to be. Humble in, in the sense of saying that we, we all, at, at the end of the day, come to believe certain things, uh, but but that we, we, we can't know for sure in the same way that we can know that a mathematical theorem holds or that a certain scientific fact about the universe holds. I think these are just categorically different things, and we run into conflict when we forget that. And with that, I think we're going to have to bring the discussion to a close. Andy, I want to thank you for joining me on the show. This has been an informative and delightful discussion. Thank you for joining me in discussing this important topic. Thank you so much for having me. So tell the listeners how they can contact you if they wish with nice messages. Uh, I'm I'm, uh, on Twitter at uh, Andy Friedman 2. And uh, I have a, a research website at UC San Diego. Okay. All right, folks, thanks for joining us on the Mac Observer's Background Mode. You've been listening to Dr. Andrew Friedman from UCSD and John Martellaro talk about the synthesis and elegance of the combination of religion and science. We'll see you again next week.